Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Ephesians. It is a great day to be alive, and I'm so glad you've joined us here on a beautiful Sunday morning. I walked outside this morning, I was like, this is so awesome right here, right? I mean, it's just, just beautiful weather. I love this uh, fall time of the year. How, how many of y'all are like, Die hard, like grew up really in the South, South people. Let me, yeah. So when Rachel was talking about selling the poinsettias, <laughs> hey man, where'd you get that poinsettia? That's the way we said it growing up in Noonan. My mom, mom, I know you're watching it. I'll never forget uh, when I finally moved to Indiana. I had no clue that those things that came in the paper weekly were not called coupons. <laughs> Anybody ever heard that word? Hey, did you get those coupons? First time I went up north, I know you guys have some Chicago background. It was like I thought I was going to Illinois. <laughs> I mean, if, if you grew up in the south, there's, there's a lot of interesting ways uh, we said words, Right. But when she was saying that today, I just was sitting there laughing, going, man, we said things different. I'll never forget, I was speaking years ago, right, right after I got saved, and the fish that swims upstream called a salmon, I had always been taught that, hey, go get that can of salmon. And then all of a sudden, I met somebody from the north, and they're like, you call it salmon? And I was like, well, it's got an L in it. So Karen is from New York, Barb is from Toronto, and I've still been working on trying to teach y'all how to enunciate, <laughs> right? It's a beautiful thing. I hope you're having fun, and I do pray that you're able to have uh, just an incredible weekend. If you're visiting uh, and, and you do not have a copy of the uh, ESV journal, if you'll raise your hand, Steve's got some extra copies. I, I tried to pass them out. So if you're visiting for the first time, you're like, I don't have a copy of Scripture or whatever, we would love to be able to give you a copy uh, of it this morning, okay? So if you've got your Bibles or the ESV journals, I would invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to continue our conversation and teaching here starting in verse 17 today. But here's what I would remind you with. The church in Ephesus, that church was birthed in a culture of extreme paganism and immorality. When you go back some 2,000 years ago and study that culture of Ephesus, it, it was a jacked up area. It was home of the pagan temple called the Temple of Artemis, a.k.a. many refer to it as the temple of Diana. And uh, when, when, you, when you go back and, and research that area, the temple of Diana was the pinnacle or the center, if you will, of much wickedness. Now, Ephesus was known for drunkenness and tons of sexual immorality. And I would just say, hey, we've got to tap the brakes because it sounds a lot like where we live today. We live in a culture that is saturated and infiltrated and, 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 and really just overwhelmed and overcome with drunkenness, alcoholism, and sexual perversion. 
and you go back and start to, to really study the rituals and the practices that took place in Ephesus, and they were, they were sinful, they were dark, they were wicked. It was a jacked up place. Now, to bring you up to speed, please, we've been going through the study of Ephesians for the last uh, couple months plus. Now, we find ourselves today, our fourth week just in Ephesians chapter 4, because there's so much meat on the bone and so much practical stuff for us. But we've established, Nick, out of the gate that our identity in Christ, knowing who we are, is absolutely foundational. And so even before we dove into the Ephesians series, we did about an eight-week series just on our identity in Christ, because our identity, knowing who we are, knowing whose we are, will drive everything about us in life. When you have a confused identity, you're more apt to chase after uh, less wild lovers and things that don't matter. And so over the last few weeks in Ephesians 4, uh, again, Paul is talking about now because of who we are in Christ, we're to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, and we're to walk in unity, and we're to walk in a way where we're experiencing maturation in our faith. Okay, that's where we've been. Now, picking it up today in verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord. What Paul says right out of the gate is, please listen to me, but what I'm saying to you is affirmed by God. This is straight from the Lord. I'm saying it to you, but the affirmation and the strength of this statement is birthed out of the heart of God. Now, here's what God wants you to do. So I affirm together with the Lord, now here's the phrase, that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. Don't walk like the Gentiles walk. So as soon as you read that, you've got to pose the question, how do the Gentiles walk? How do, and he's using the word Gentile here, not in a Jewish sense where they would look at Gentiles as just being non-Jews. He's using the word Gentile as pagan and lost, okay? He goes, don't walk like the Gentiles walk. Don't walk like pagans walk. Don't walk like lost people walk. How do they walk? He says they walk in the futility of their mind. They're being darkened in their understanding. He goes, they're excluded from the life of God. And then he says, because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their heart, they have become calloused and they have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. And then he says, you didn't learn Christ this way. You didn't learn Christ this way. So again, let me reemphasize to you that chapters four through six is all about how to walk out, how to live the Christian faith. And so when Paul uses the word walk, again, his favorite metaphor that you will find here in this epistle, when he uses the word walk, it really implies how we live, how we conduct ourselves, how we think, how we behave. That's the emphasis. When, it, when you see that word walk, it's all about how do you live? How do you conduct your, yourself? What, what manner of life are you uh, pursuing? Again, the first part, I want you to walk in unity. Now he transitions. I want you to walk. I want you to live. I want you to conduct yourself in purity, okay? So uh, if, if, if you're expecting or anticipating or desiring to experience unity with others, unity in the body, and maturation, it's going to require purity of life. That's the emphasis 
that he's making. So when he uses the phrase, walk no longer as the Gentiles, pagans, lost people walk, here's what it implies. It implies that once upon a time, all of us used to live in a sinful and corrupt way. It implies that's the way you used to live. It also implies this, that even though we claim that we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus, it implies that it is still possible to continue to walk in that way. That's the crazy thing for me. Now, here's what I believe. The truth is, when we come to faith in Jesus, we become new creations. When we come to faith in Christ, when we say that we're repenting of sin and filth and unrighteousness, the implied truth is things should change. But you've got to change. Because what I'm saying is, I am no longer who I used to be. I'm repenting. I'm surrendering to Christ. I'm a new creation. Again, if you will drill deep and dive deep into your identity in Christ, that will start to change you. That's what I'm going to unpackage here. Now, just because you come to faith in Christ, and just because things should change, does not mean they will change. And I can tell you, they do not change automatically and things don't change overnight. I, I, I've come to faith in Christ. I remember that. I, I remember repenting and surrendering my life to Christ in October of 85. But I was like, man, why is my language still so jacked up? I want to follow Jesus. I had to learn to talk a new way. I, I had to learn to fix my eyes on new things. And I came to the realization that much of my life had been spent recklessly uh, in, in, in living, going to bars and hanging out late at night. I, I, I remember I was praying, God, please take this Budweiser or this alcohol out of my hand. And it was, it was like the Lord was saying, here's the deal. You're asking me to remove the external. True change is going to be an internal uh, work that I do. If I get your heart, I get what you put in your hand. But if, you, if you're only asking me to remove what's in your hand without giving me your heart, you're looking for me to do an outside work instead of an inside work, and I'm an inside working God. Does this make sense to you all? So personalizing it for all of us, life as we know it, it, it it's a challenge in crucifying flesh patterns and no longer living the way we used to is a daily battle. Every person I meet is in process. Every person I meet, Dalton, is still in process of really, if they're desiring God, it, 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 things don't change just like that. And, and oftentimes we, we will look at a person and it's like, well, how did they change so radically? And well, you, you still don't know what they're battling in the secret Closets of their life. It's a battle. So I've surrendered to Christ. And again, this church was birthed in a culture of paganism, drunkenness, and immorality. So for all of us, when we come to faith in Christ, changing old habits and changing old thinking patterns is, is a process and it's, it's a daily fight. And the only way we can do it is through complete surrender of our hearts and our minds to the Lord, but it's a daily surrender. And it's not like you can just surrender 
on a Sunday morning and go on back out there and do what you were doing before. If we're really going to live the sanctified life, it implies daily surrender. So he says, don't walk like the Gentiles walk. Don't view yourself as a pagan, lost person, drunk, addict, etc. any longer. View yourself as a child of God, a redeemed son or daughter of the king. That's who you are. Now, I'm going to give you three things here. And then I'm going to give you three kind of a, a proactive kind of statements that Paul will make. But there's three statements that he makes here on how they used to live or how the Gentiles or pagans were continuing to live. The first one was in their knowledge. And this is what he says. They walk, they live in the futility of their mind. That is a very interesting statement. The culture, the society of Ephesus, they believed that the mind was the key to success. The mind was where it was at. It was the epicenter. And so they prided themselves and they were students, many of them, they, they sat under these Greek philosophers like Plato, Socrates, Aristotle. When Paul writes in the futility of their mind, they're like, do you not know how smart we are? Do you not realize that we're the Harvard of the world in a sense? We are the Ivy League institution here in Ephesus. Do you not realize the brilliance that we have here? And he's like, uh-uh, no, no, no. And they took so much pride in their intellectualism. And what he's saying is this, hey, your thinking is futile. It's meaningless. When he makes that statement, can you imagine the insult that the people felt? Look, look at how many advances that we've made. Look at how many books we've written in uh, in regards to philosophy and the advancement of medicine. You go back and study it. They had all these libraries, and many believed that these men would leave their wives and they would go study. But the problem was they had these underground tunnels that left the libraries that went to the brothels, and, oh, we're going to study. And the wives would go, go study, but yet they were involved in drunkenness and debauchery and immorality and all this stuff. But they prided themselves as being intellects. Look at, look at what we've done. Look at how bright we are. Write this down. Futility of mind, it does not mean that the mind cannot accomplish great things. That's not the emphasis. And if we got this here, it would free us so much. My son Caleb and I had this conversation this week. A futile mind literally means that God is not your center and God is not your foundation. A futile mind means I'm aiming at something that is meaningless. That's what the word futility of mind means. And you've got to stop and ask, what am I chasing after? What am I pursuing? I sat there last Sunday night and I was like, oh, this is kind of fascinating. I get an update on the phone that SpaceX is about to take off. And I was like, well, let's, let's watch some of that. So we click it over and Sure enough, the booster's fire and all this. And I was like, so we've landed on the moon. It's a great dumb and dumber quote. But then you have to ask, okay, well, I, I know how to solve the Rubik's Cube. Great. How does that measure 
And how does that matter when you die and stand before a holy God one day? And Nick, the emphasis that Paul is making is that your mind is futile. You're chasing after meaningless, void, vain things. Solomon would say the same thing when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He would say, man, I tested myself with wine, women, and song, and pleasure, and all this. And he comes to the conclusion, vanity, of vanities, oh, how meaningless, how void, how futile. So when you read this, he's like, you're aiming at the wrong thing. And again, that conversation that Caleb and I had the other day was so crucial. But here's what I would tell you for each and every one of us. It is so easy for something else to become your God. It is so easy to buy into the narratives of our Western culture on what matters. Again, the conversation with Caleb the other day. Again, he's into, he's got a little entrepreneur mind and he's very, very sharp in areas. But he looked at me and he said, Dad, he said, uh, how would you define success? I'm like, that's a great question. That's a great question. And on the spot, I said, I'm going to give you three definitions. Success. The first definition is what should drive each and every one of us if we claim to be a follower of Christ. The purest definition of success is having wisdom and skill to do life in such a way that it honors God. That's success. I said, now, a second definition, and I pray that this is true one day when I go boots up and Y'all have a funeral for dad, but here would be my definition of success. Having those people closest to me love me and respect me the most. Then you would look and go, that man lived a successful life. The people that knew him the best, that were closest to him, they loved him the most. I said, now I'm going to give you a pagan worldly definition. Success is the acquisition of wealth and materialism. And what Paul is saying here is, the way y'all are doing life, it's futile because you're all after that which is earthly, not godly. And it's so easy for us to pursue things that really do not matter. So when you look over your life, or even people that you do life with, or people that you claim that you admire, accomplishments and achievements are worthless meaningless and void if it's not centered on glorifying and honoring God. Come on. I've been in that sports space for a long time, and I can tell you this. We give our minds to a lot of different futile things. A lot of us get so preoccupied with futile things. Sports, movies, sitcoms. And what we do is we find ourselves being entertained with these things to avoid deeper, meaningful thought. And I have wasted so many hours in my life sitting around watching sports. I'm just going to be honest with you. Oh, I want to watch this. But, but you will never hear me say that I invested three hours in watching this game. I will tell you I spent three hours watching a game. And praise God, I didn't watch Georgia last night. Hallelujah. And that's not because I'm a Tech fan. They're even worse to watch. But we do. 
our lives become so self-consumed. And we get so consumed with these meaningless, futile things, and it alienates God. We act as if we don't need God or we make more, no time for God. And we're so influenced, coached with singers and actors and athletes and talk show hosts. And most of what we watch in movies and TV shows, it really is a waste of time. Endless stimulation that does nothing to lead us toward God. I was convicted big time personally going through this right here. Because for him to make that statement in the futility of your mind, you're chasing after a meaningless goal. And Nick, it's so easy to do that. We end up spending time and resources and so much on meaningless aims. And walking in purity and walking in unity will begin with the mind. We'll get there in a second. But we're told in Scripture, take every thought captive to the obedience of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 10 says, take every thought captive, and whatever's pure, right, holy, and lovely, and excellent, and praiseworthy, let your mind dwell on these things. And it's so easy, futile. He goes on to say that they're futile in their thinking, and he goes, their understanding is darkened. Which means the very essence of their knowledge or thought process is dark. It's void of light. It, 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 it's jacked up, and that's the culture in which we live. I mean, we, we have a misplaced emphasis on what matters. We focus on the wrong things, and so much of what we hear, and it can be, again, especially over these last week, weeks as we sit there and listen to this nonsense at times with these political debates, most of the conversation is absent of any type of God-style viewpoint. And we just kind of get caught up in it. So, so I would encourage you to just really ask yourself the question, what are you chasing? What are you pursuing? What are you aiming at in life? He goes, their knowledge is jacked up. And then he goes, who they are is jacked up. He uses the word, they're alienated from God. They're alienated from a life with God. And, and the word alienated from God really means this. They don't care about what God wants. They don't care about what God cares about. They live as they please. That's our culture today. That's so many people that I know. And so many people are determined to satisfy their sin, to pursue their sin, to stay in their sin. It's like, why are they doing that? Because they're alienated from God. They're aliens when it comes to the God-style things. He says this, what has uh, alienated them? He, he gives us two things. They live in ignorance with a hard heart. Ignorance has nothing to do with intellect. That was the way the word was used when I was growing up. Oh, they're ignorant, which would imply it was the absence of intellect. Ignorance does not mean you're dumb or stupid. Ignorant means you have rejected God's wisdom. That's the emphasis. The word ignorance includes the word to ignore. You have ignored God. You have ignored the sayings of God. You have ignored valuing what God values. You're ignorant. You refuse to listen. You're hard-headed. He'll get to that. You ever been that way in your life? 
You ever been that way? Man, the heartbreak that I brought about, Dad, I know you watch. Son, I can't tell you anything. I lived there. Futile, reckless, doing my own thing, living for me, chasing me. And Paul goes, hey, 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 y'all have come to know Christ. Your identity is in Jesus. By grace, man, he's he's overwhelmed you. He wants to illuminate your mind and your heart, and, and you can approach him. Now, don't walk like you used to walk. Don't walk like a pagan walks. Don't walk lost anymore. He goes, man, they've got a hard heart. That's the phrase he uses here. The word hard heart means, it means to be numb to. I, 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 he goes, they're, they're, they've got this hardness. It, it's led to this callousness. One of the other translations would say it's blindness. And you know calluses. I mean, they kind of grow to protect. But what they end up doing is they, they eliminate the feeling of. They cause you to be numb to. And, and, and a few years back, I remember, it was like, man, I can't see. My eyes are fading. I don't know what's going on. I'm like, I thought I had 20-20, but everything was fuzzy to me. And, and I remember Nick and some of them driving with me, and I would be 50, 75 yards from a traffic light, and I'm like, hey, man, is that light red or green or yellow? They're like, you can't see the color? My kids used to laugh at me, and I'm like, no. It's one thing for your neck not to turn. You can't see what's coming. It's another thing not to be able to recognize it. And I go to... I go to this ophthalmologist, and I said, man, I said, I think I've got some bad cataracts. No, you're too young for cataracts. All right, you just do the test and see what it shows up. He comes back, and he goes, wow, you got bad cataracts. I said, I'm telling you, it runs in my mom's side of the family. I said, I'm telling you, things kind of get fuzzy. I can see, but if there's glare, I have no chance. And he goes, we're going to correct that and fix it for you. Nick, you know, we'd be going down the road. I'm like, what color is the light? And there's so many people that are living numb with spiritual cataracts. There's like this film over your eyes, and you can't see the things of God, and, and you've become calloused, and you've become numb to. And I can tell you the culture in which we live today is numb and calloused and hard to the things of God. We don't recognize sin. Nobody even talks about the reality and consequences of sin because it's whatever you want to do, go for it. We live in a numb, jacked up, calloused culture. And that was the culture that Paul was writing to. But, Andrew, what we've got to do is we've got to be willing to do introspection before the Lord to say, is there any callousness, hardness, blindness going on inside of me spiritually right now? You, you've got to take it to you. This text has to be personalized to you. And then he goes on to say what they do. I mean, their knowledge is jacked up. Who they are, their very essence and being is jacked up. But what they do, listen to what he says in the text. They have given themselves over to sensuality. For the practices of every kind of impurity and greediness. I'm reading that going, well, what is sensuality? And it really means to be driven by the five senses. It is a 
whatever makes me feel good approach to life. There, there's so many people that are driven by sensuality. Hey, whatever makes you feel good, go for it. You only live once. Go for it. That's the culture in which we find ourselves living. Chase the feeling. Chase the high. Chase the buzz. Hey, go for it. And can I tell you something? A man or a woman given to sensuality does not care how they treat others or how they hurt others. When you find a person that is full-blown living a life of sensuality, they don't care who they hurt. They don't care who they take advantage of. I've seen people use and abuse and misuse family, friends, just walk all over them. Just take, steal, manipulate because they're occupied with one thing, just satisfying a desire inside their heart. When a person reaches this place of living a life of sensuality, they don't care who they shock and they've lost all decency. Because they're living with one mindset. What makes me feel good now? Right, Butch? With all the recovery ministry that we do here, you meet people and it's like, man, they're all about the rush in the moment. And it's like a drug addict. It's like an untamed alcoholic. When you start to deal with certain people, you go, hey, I remember when you first started using, you did it in secrecy. But now you don't even care who knows. You, you don't even care who sees you. Why? Because I got to get what I want. I got to get it now. And I've seen so many relationships just destroyed. And I've seen so much heartbreak in families when people are living with sensuality. And just, uh, he goes on to use this word. He goes, it's impure and it's greedy. Again, just to repeat, it's impure and it's greedy. You will violate the people closest to you. You will destroy the people closest to you. And, and we've got to do introspection on this. When he says, don't, don't walk this way anymore. You don't have to live that way anymore. He stops and he says, hey, because there were some in the church that were still living. Hey, I've got Jesus. I'm going to heaven. This is the southern cultural mindset. Don't, don't miss this. There's so many people that really believe that you can pray a prayer, walk an aisle, get in a tank of water, and go live like hell however you choose to live. Hey, man, I know I've been saved because I walked an aisle. No, 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 no. The gospel does a work inside and starts to transform us outside. And there's so many people, I believe, in the southern culture that are living with false hope. They're living with a false pretense of what it means to know God. you got to be careful. I've met so many over the years. Just full-blown, greedy, impure, in sin. Because you didn't learn Christ that way. Now listen to this. You didn't learn Christ this way. If indeed you have heard of him and have been taught in him. He goes on to say, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, listen to these three, bam, statements he makes for us. 
The truth is in Jesus. When it comes to your former life, one, he uses the word you. You lay aside. You put off the old self. Lay aside that old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. You know the Lord? Lay that off. Two, he goes, you be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Here's what I want you to do. You, you belong. They don't know any better. They're still lost. Some of y'all are walking like you don't know any better. You, you, you belong to the Lord now. Renew your minds. You. Third thing, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created. Put on the new self. The new self that, that God has called you to has been created. He uses the word. It's been created in righteousness, holiness, and truth. Three things. But it's your choice. It's your, your choice. That's the implied emphasis here. It's your choice. You. Will you take off and lay aside the old self? If we know Christ, then I believe the Holy Spirit living inside of us puts a, a burning desire for us to lay aside all that old stuff that we used to practice and be involved in. The word lay aside in the Greek literally means it's like taking off dirty clothes. Hey, hey, you've been out there working. You, you've been out there and you're all sweaty and nasty and, and you walk in and there's this, this odor. He goes, hey, 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 that's what your old life was. It was sinful. It was dirty. It was messy. It was soiled. It was smelly. Lay that aside. You've come to faith in Christ. You've been washed with the water. You've been baptized don't wear those stinky clothes anymore. Don't wear that stinky lifestyle anymore. That's the literal right here. And I do believe with all my heart that saved people, saved, born-again people have a desire deep inside to stop living the way they used to. Because the transforming hope of the gospel starts to radically change the way I think and do life. And it's like, I don't even want to live the way I used to. The way I used to was corrupted. I had all this deceit. My desires were infected. What I did was wrong. What I said was wrong. What I thought was wrong. And, and he goes, stop. You're a new creation. You're not a better version of the old you. You are a new version of what you've never been. You are in Christ, and now the power of the gospel dwells inside of you. The new me desires to take off Dallas, the old me. He goes, you, you, you be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Why? Because before we come to Christ, our thoughts are jacked up. The way we view life, our philosophy of life is jacked up. That's why he uses the words like darkness, alienated, calloused, ignorant, all these words. You know, you know before you got saved how jacked up you were? Yes. You know how you used to focus on futile, meaningless stuff before you got saved? Yes. But now you're to live with the eternity as your backdrop. God wants to give you a kingdom perspective. And your mind and my mind must be renewed in truth. If your mind, even as a believer, Ronnie, is not renewed in truth, here's going to be the temptation. Here's, here's going to be the snag the enemy throws at you. You will be a poser. You will be a performer, 
And what you'll ultimately be is a hypocrite and a liar because you will project or promote to others an image that's inconsistent with really what's going on inside of your heart. And there's so many people that know terminology in the Christianese culture that do not know truth, holiness, and righteousness. So what we do is we project this image. Oh, yeah. But deep down inside, there's no life change. There's no radical change inside of us. Well, what's got to happen? We've got to saturate, saturate our minds with the Word of God. We've got to. And I'm telling you, there is no shortcuts and there is no replacement to to reading and to studying and to meditating and to memorizing the word. We've got to we've got to set aside time where we get into the word daily. We've got to invite the word to get deep inside everything that we are. If you're going to experience change, it's going to rec- it's going to come about as a result of you really spending time in the word. You've got to renew your mind. You've got to reprogram your mind. And I would encourage you as you think about that, and here's just something I've been pondering over the week, identify anything in your life that is sinful. Like, Lord, what is jacked up right now? And I would tell you, I I was meeting with a young man on Thursday night, and I was like, you know, based on your drive time, uh, he's got about an hour commute to work. I said, what do you listen to? Oh, just country. Okay, do, do you really desire to have a spiritual growth plan? I do. Tell me how that stuff is going to lead you toward Christ. It's not. Hey, there's podcasts you can listen to. Do you have Apple or Amazon or Spotify or whatever? Music, yes. Then create a worship playlist and feed your spiritual man. Are you saying it's wrong to listen to that other stuff? For some of you it is. I can go back and grab some of it occasionally, but I've got to saturate my mind with truth. I've got to meditate on what is pure and right and holy and lovely and excellent. And I would, I would just pray and say, Lord, make me feel sick when I watch or listen to sinful junk. That's a bunch of junk. Just make me feel sick. Just, just. Just make me sick when I watch it, which means eliminate that appetite out of me because it's not leading me toward you, and you're wanting me to walk in truth. And so many people allow their minds to be just influenced by the world. And the problem is, for so many people, they don't even realize it. I don't even realize I'm doing it. And it's a choice. (laughs) Hey, make the choice to renew your mind. Make the choice to quit watching all that crap. Make the choice. Eliminate the entertainment of wickedness. I'm going to tell you all, this is live, but here's the deal. Can I tell you something? One of our favorite go-to Christmas things we watch is Elf. How many of y'all like Elf? So who's the lead? Who's the lead guy in Elf? Huh? That's exactly right. Y'all seen that dude's stupidity over the last weeks and months? 
Y'all seen his flaming liberal views on things? This is just free 99 off-the-cuff cash money right now. Do you know it almost makes me sick thinking about watching that dude on a show right now? I'm like, now the, the, well, it's just a clean little thing, and it's not all. I'm serious. I was sitting there watching this dude with some of his political views and some of his policy views and some of his liberal anti-God views, and I'm like, Jesse, I hate to tell you, son. We, we, we watch it, but I'm like, man, I don't even know if I want to watch it. It makes me sick. Does that, stuff, does that stuff like that ever bother you? I don't know. I got to pray through that one because that's kind of a Thanksgiving tradition at the cash household. And I'm like, I don't even know if I can watch that clown. Like I said, that's just my thought. Here's what I would tell you. It's impossible to renew your mind if you spend more time in the world than you do the word. It's impossible to renew your mind if the majority of your time is being spent in the world and not in the word. Paul writes and he says, can I tell you all something? Please lay aside that old self. It's your choice. Please renew your minds. And then he gets here and he says, put on the new self. Put on the new you. Why? Transformation will always start from the inside and work its way out. What we watch, what we listen to, what we entertain, what we allow into our space is going to have influence in our lives. He says, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God The image was stolen back in the garden, but in the likeness of God, God has redeemed you in Christ in the likeness of God. You've been created to walk in righteousness and holiness and truth. Who has? I have. Which means if you change your heart and change your thoughts, guess what? It'll start to change your life. By changing the patterns of thinking and behavior, the the thinking changes the patterns of my behavior. So here, here, here's the deal. The new me in Christ will not look like the world, but w- will reflect Jesus. So when he says, when he says, put on, put, put, put on the new you, take off that old you, renew your mind, transformation of mind leads to transformation of life. And if you want to know how to live out this this Christian faith and walk with the Lord, you've got to have this replacement stuff going on where a lot of those old files become deleted and you renew and restore your mind. So here's my encouragement to you, just going through this text. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. That's what Paul said right out of the gate. I want you to walk, live, conduct yourself, think Whatever, I want you to do it in a manner worthy of your calling. Because this new life is all about Jesus, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. So where I've been this week, okay, where I've been this week is really sorting out some of my thoughts and the rawness of my thoughts going, what am I giving my time and energy to? What am I allowing to speak into me? What am I listening to? And again, I can look back over these years and like, man, 
I enjoyed watching some of those sporting events. But if I'd been listening to like a solid teaching or reading or meditating or saying, you know what, I, 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 need, to, I need to focus on this. I'm not saying I become so spiritually minded that I'm no earthly good. Not saying that. But I'm saying we give our time and attention and affection to things at times that really sabotage our walk with God and hinder us through. And I, wanna, I want us all to really take some, some serious inventory. So as, as we go into this next week, okay, you'll, you'll be hanging around some people that you don't hang around with probably all the time. It'll be some family and different people, and you'll be, you know, breaking bread, you know, chewing on some turkey together, whatever you're doing, right? But it's like, all right, what am I giving my time and my energy and my resources, et cetera, to? Am I, am I aiming at a meaningless goal, or am I really aiming at a target that really matters, which is to really know Christ in a deeper way. So I would encourage you, we all need to repent. We need to refocus and we need to redeem this season right now that we're in. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And you just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we wanna see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. We pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.